I get asked on occasion why I preach through entire books of the Bible and passages like today are the reason why. We have a sermon notes. If you didn't get one when you came in, raise your hand. We actually have a few fill in the blanks even. So you may want to follow along. But the text that we're looking at today is, is a text that might not be looked at if we were not uh, preaching through kind of systematically through a section of the Bible. And every couple of years we do this. We've, of course, preached through Genesis and Exodus. And now we're through almost through Acts. We only have a few more chapters to go, eight chapters to go. And then uh, we will be done. But, but a text like today is one that normally we would not cover. And I'm aware of this about myself, and I think probably most preachers, if we were really honest, we would admit this, that we have our, uh, I guess we'd call them like our hobby horse texts, our favorite scriptures, that if we are not careful, we'll just keep going back to those over and over and over again. I knew of one friend that worked at a church, and and he said that the folk at his church described their pastor in this way, that he had one sermon that he preached seven different ways, but it was really just the same thing and he would come back to it over and over again. So sometimes it's good for us to preach expositionally because I know myself and my own heart that I would probably do likewise as that preacher. But a text like today uh, challenges us in other ways. Exodus chapter 20 and I'm going to read it all to you, though it's there in your study guide. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you in public anything are declaring anything to you that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Maybe he was visiting small groups, connect groups. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life, and this is my favorite text in all of scripture. I actually have it written in the front of my Bible from years ago, my life texts. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, some of your versions say finish the race, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the, 
to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is better to give than to receive. The reason why I said if I didn't practice expositional preaching, I might not choose to preach a passage like this is because this passage actually, whether you realize in that reading or not, invites accountability of me who calls myself an elder and of anyone else who is under that title of elder. It's an, a, a passage that, that, that invites accountability such that someone could compare this passage and say, well, how is our pastor doing? And unless one is perfect leader or a perfect elder of which I am neither, then such accountability will surely expose some of my flaws and some of the flaws of others. I remember years ago watching the uh, opening ceremonies or the grand opening of President George W. Bush's uh, presidential library down in Texas. I was watching it on the wonderful channel that I know you all go to often, C-SPAN. And I was there watching the, the, the opening things and, and all the living presidents were there on the, on the stage. And President Clinton was at the, the podium and he was speaking. And he said, the thing that I like most about this library and that I find the most interesting, he said, and the most fascinating is that, and he turned to, to President Bush and he said, that you invite us to critique your decisions. That you invite us to, to analyze and assess your decisions. And then he began to explain. He said, in there you'll find when you go in, he goes, I've had the privilege of going in already. He said, you'll see that there's, that there's a, an interactive sec section of the library where you get to go in and you get to see every decision that President Bush made and you get to, to say whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with it. And if you disagree with it, you're, you're, you're able to say what you would do differently or how you would handle things differently. And then almost wistfully, President Clinton said, I find this fascinating that you would do this. Almost like, why would you invite people to, to critique and hold accountable your actions? It's hard for us to do that sometimes. But the Bible actually is a book that, that challenges us as members, but also as leaders. We oftentimes preach to all the members, but, but also in this way, sometimes the Lord is preaching to us as leaders. When we, get, we, when we start a job, when we work, uh, start at a place of employment, uh, probably most of us in certain professional settings, we're giving a, a handbook, an employee handbook. That employee handbook is not usually publicly distributed. It's for the employees so that they know what to do and how to do things. But but the handbook that God gives to the leaders is for everyone in the church to see, to, to assess, to look at, to, to analyze, to say, okay, are our leaders, are we ourselves living by these principles? And I believe Paul here gives us in this passage an example, a model by how we are to live before the entire church as elders and leaders. And I think it's important for, for, the, for the church to see 
to understand the standard that God has put before us and who he calls us to be as leaders. Not so that they can judge or condemn, but, but so that they can, one, lift us up and hold us accountable, but also so that they can also follow the example. So today, that is where we're going to look at, the standard of Paul. Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so let us seek to learn from the model that is Paul. And in doing so, right there in your, in your sermon notes, you're gonna see that we are going to look at Paul's mission. We're going to look at Paul's mindset and we're going to look at Paul's conviction. Paul's mission, Paul's mindset, and Paul's conviction as a model for how we are also to serve in the body of Christ. First, Paul's mission. Here was Paul's mission. All truth to all people on all occasions, at all times, in all places. All truth to all people in all times. All three of these are best addressed in verse uh, 20, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 20, in which it says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, that is all truth, and teaching you in public and from house to house, that's in all places or at all times, and testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to all people. Church, you have the right to expect of your pastors and you have the right to expect of the elders, both paid and unpaid, that this will be our mission as well. All the truth to all people at all times, in all places, in all ways. Teaching all truth, the whole counsel of God, as Paul says in verse 27, that he never shied away from this. Not teaching culture, not teaching just politics or our personal opinions, not teaching preferences, but, but what is in the word of God, the whole counsel of God. But in order to do this, we, in order to share the truth of God's word, we must know the truth of God's word. As leaders, leaders, I speak to you now as elders, we must daily, weekly, monthly, yearly be mining God's word for truth, as Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, like, like one who mines for precious gold and, and jewels. We must be mining God's word for truth. A lot of us have learned various things from various people about the Bible, but, but it's only as we dig into the Bible that we find real power. My friend David Asterick said this, don't just read books about the Bible. Don't just read books about people who know the Bible, but actually read the Bible. That's where the real power is found. I am not able to teach. You are not able to teach. And this goes for elders and members alike. We're not able to share with people that which we have not dug into and learned for ourselves. That which we have not studied and invested our lives in, in, in understanding so that we can share it with others. I think there's many people that don't share, don't defend, don't teach the entire counsel of Scripture because they're not regularly spending that time in the Word of God. This is something that the church has a right to expect from us as, as elders and as leaders, but also that the church should do likewise. Adults, those of you that do not have kids, let me tell you something. Math is nothing like it used to be. Did you know this? 
I mean, some of the principles are still the same. Two plus two is still four and 20 divided by four is still five. I mean, some of the principles, the, the ultimate answers are still the same, but the way they teach math is nothing like the way that we learned it when we were kids. The, they have a bunch of words now in math. Math is supposed to be numbers, but now there's all these words and, and titles and all kinds of things. So whenever Levi and Landon come to me and say, hey, dad, we need help with our math, I always go to my 12-year-old son, who's almost 13, and I say, Dayton, please help. Please help. I say, can you please explain this to your brothers? Or sometimes better than that, I say, explain it to me so that I can explain it to them. You know, little brothers don't always want to be shown what to do by their older brother even though he's happy to show them what to do. Uh, but, but he, as a 12-year-old, I'm 43 going on 44. He's 12 going on 13. And yet, because he's spent all of his schooling learning math in this weird style. Lisa, I would just say, if you have any influence on getting us back to just numbers, please help us out. I, Lisa Beardsley, who is our, uh, our general conference education superintendent. But, but, but Dayton, who's, who's younger and, and has not as much experience with all these things, he can explain it because every year of his schooling, he's been spending time in that. He can teach even his own father because he spent time in it. We can't teach all truths if we have not been spending that time, investing that time. This was Paul's mission, all truth to all the people. And all the people means both those inside and outside of the church. Not, not just in here, but those inside and those outside of the church as well. Our mission elders, our mission leaders is to set an example for the body of Christ of what it means to share the truth, all the truth with all people. That means beyond our walls. Paul says that, that I have not stopped teaching the whole council in all places, in public and in private, day and night to Jews and to Greeks. I've not stopped teaching this to all people. I'm committed to this. This is his mission and it should be our mission as well. He says, I teach them to repent and to come to faith in Jesus. I would ask us, I would challenge us as leaders first, but then also as all of the membership. When was the last time we who have that title of elder, that title of leader within the church, when was the last time we called someone to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We have over 60 elected elders within this church. We have over 100 people in this body who are technically under the banner of elder. What if all of us said, Jesus, help that to be a priority in my life, to share all your truth with all people beyond the walls. How would that impact the kingdom of God? How would that impact the kingdom of God? You know, we're in danger of neglecting this. And can I tell you that in an environment like ours, we are in even more danger. Because when we're in large environments like this, when we're in large communities like this of, of many avenues, what, what, what can happen is we can be sharing truth, but what we don't realize is we're only sharing truth amongst one another. 
And this is not my wisdom. This is actually written in the Adventist Review then at the time, the Review and Herald. The members of our large churches are not in the most favorable situation for spiritual growth or for development of efficient methods of labor. They are inclined to let others bear the burdens that the Lord designs all should have a part in carrying. So she's speaking to all the church now. Perhaps there may be a number of good workers and these take up the work so spiritedly that the weaker ones do not see where they can get hold. So they settle down into idleness. It is a mistake for our people to crowd together in large numbers. Uh Uh-oh. It is not in harmony with God's plans. It is his will that the knowledge which we receive of the truth should be communicated to others, that the light which shines upon us should be reflected upon the pathway of those walking in darkness so that we may lead others to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But where, listen to this, this is a key, but where a large number are congregated together in one church, this work in a large measure, measure is neglected and the light of truth, hear this, the light of truth is often only reflected back and forth upon the church members. And the world is left in darkness. The alarm is not sounding. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying that that it's easy for us in larger environments, for a pastor, I'll, I'll use me just as an example, it's easy for me as a pastor to come in here and to stand up front and to talk about Jesus and to talk about his word and to say, oh, I've, I've shared the message. But really, almost 100% of the people I've shared it to are just fellow believers. And it's easy for for leaders to come in and oftentimes elders come into a Sabbath school and to share something in a Sabbath school and to think, okay, I've shared the message, but it's oftentimes only with other believers. And it's it's easy for believers or members to raise their hand and, and to share a thought, or it's easy for us to talk in the foyer about maybe something we like or didn't like about the message and to share our thoughts and to think that we've done something in sharing the truth. And she says, no. In large environments, we can be fooled into the thinking we're sharing, but really it's just reflecting back and forth. And we're never actually outside of our walls. But Paul's mission was all truth to all people, both Jews and Greeks, in public places and in private places, day and night. That's all places and all times. It is a standard that we need to go back to. This is our mission that we need to go back back to. I want to say a quick word to those of us who are employed and paid by the denomination. I've known many people that have left secular work and come into denominational employee employment. But this last year, just this last year, for some reason, I had two different conversations that were very interesting to me because both of them said a similar thing. These were folks that had been in the secular work for a long time, and then they had uh, joined uh, denominational employment. And here's what both of these people said to me they, with, with this kind of hurt and regret and, and, and pain in their lives. They said, before I started working for the church, I had more influence and I talked to more people about Jesus, lost people about Jesus than I do now. In other words, I've come to work for the church And now I no longer talk to people who need to hear about Jesus. Some of you who have left a denominational employee might say, you know, I've I've been experiencing that too, who've gone to work in a different sector or field. But now you have more influence. If this is how you feel, if this is what your life is like, let's change this. Let's think about our calling, about our example to the local bodies we serve. Think about when was the last time I talked to, shared all truths, to all people 
in all places. That's Paul's mission. And that's the mission he calls us. The example he sets for us as elders and then for the larger church. Now, Paul's mindset, two words. Paul's mindset was this, all in. He was all in, all in on this mission. Listen to these verses, verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. I'm all in. You know how I lived. I was all in. Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Why? Because I'm all in on one thing, sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Verse 34, 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you. And listen to what he says here, with tears. In other words, he's saying, not only is all my time invested, not only is, am I all in, but I'm all in emotionally too. I'm, I'm, my, my heart is so full for these people, he's saying, that I'm tearful as I witness to them. Verses 34 and 35, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of Jesus, it's better to give than to receive. Church family, you have the right to expect that those of us who are called to serve as elders, whether paid or unpaid, that we will be all in, all in fully invested. Now, let me say a little caveat to this, please. All in based upon the word of God. Not all in based upon every single whim. I had a pastor friend who I was talking to once and he, we, were, we were at some event together and he was telling me about how that week he was tired because he had had to get up at four in the morning to go to someone's house because the church members expected him to be there when their daughter drove off to college. Folks, please don't call me at 4 a.m. and say, hey, my child's leaving and I need you to be waving there with us as my child goes off. This is true. There's pastors that actually, that, that, have, that have destroyed their lives, destroyed their families, destroyed their churches because they were all in according to, to everybody else's standard. What I'm talking about is all in according to the word of God all in in teaching the whole counsel of God, all in in sacrificing, yes, time, all in in even risking your, your, your physical safety in order that all people may know about Jesus Christ. This is not all in that you're at every single event, every single meeting and every single committee. That's not what this is saying, but all in according to the word of God. And that you're, that you're emotionally, that we are emotionally invested in this. Three different times in this passage, Paul references being in tears within the midst of this mission. He's all in. He loves the people so much and he loves the call of Jesus on his life. And he's so passionate about the call of Jesus on his life that it moves him to tears. Brothers and sisters, that's what you should see in us. Paid and unpaid. There are two attitudes that will destroy that all-in mindset, though. The attitude that will destroy this for the paid elder that will keep us from being all-in is if we see this role as a job and not as a calling. I wonder how many shepherds have left or transferred to a different sheep pen because they got tired of the sheep where they were at. You change jobs, you get new sheep. That's the way you can do in modern times. 
because it's just a job and I can do this job just as well here as I can do it over there. If we, if we look at things like that, if we look at things like that, that, that attitude will destroy that all-in mentality. The other attitude that destroys for the unpaid elder, the all-in mentality, is seeing the role as something you were nominated to by a committee. And your term is over, therefore you're done. The elder that sees the role simply as a nomination from some committee will be okay with just praying once in a while. We'll be okay with just uh, calling for the offering once in a while. We'll be okay with just sitting in a few committees. But that kills the all-in standard that Paul sets for us and that the body of Christ deserves. The whole truth, all truth to all people at all times. That is our calling from Jesus Christ. That is the model that Paul set in his own life. The mission, all truth to all people at all times. The mindset of Paul was all in. I'm invested 100% heart, mind, and soul according to the word of God. And the conviction of Paul was this. It was all for Christ because all the church Jesus gave his life for with all of his blood. That's the conviction of Paul. It's the thing that could keep him in a place like Ephesus where he faced so much opposition from the Jewish leaders. It's the thing that kept him in a place like Ephesus when, when, when people literally hated and despised him for who he was. It's the thing that kept him there because, because ultimately Jesus gave his blood for these people and he is willing. His conviction is that who is he to not love these people the way that Christ has loved them? Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. With his own blood. Elders, leaders, let us always remember this. The same Jesus that died for us, died for all the people that at times sometimes frustrate us. Died for all the people that that we've yet to share the gospel with died for all the people that that sit on committees with us that may frustrate us at times. Jesus, Paul says, the Holy Spirit has called you here and Jesus died for this body of people. So be on guard. And then the next verses say, and protect yourselves because some will come in like wolves. But then this is interesting. And he says, and some amongst yourselves will rise up. And how does that happen that some amongst ourselves, I used to think that this meant like we have to protect them from other people in the church. This is really what I thought. I thought like, okay, Paul here is saying to, to me, I need to protect them from other people in the church who may have some, some, some strange ideas. But I think actually what Paul is saying here is that some amongst yourselves, in other words, some of you leaders, when you lose sight of the fact that these people were bought with the blood of Jesus, you start to think it's about you and your ways and your ideas. And you start worrying more about whether or not you have followers than whether or not Jesus has followers. He's rebuking, he's saying, the the people that might rise up are you as the elder because you've forgotten this powerful truth that Jesus died for these people. 
By the way, if you're here today and this is the first time you've been to church in a long time or maybe the first time ever and you're thinking to yourself, man, I came on a day when he's talking about elders and I don't know what's going on. That's what I want you to hear is that Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. He loves you. And he's, he's set up a structure within the church body to protect that, to protect that truth, to, to grow that truth. That though we were sinners, Christ died for us. What I think about when I hear this is I, I hear Jesus saying to me, Chad, I know these people aren't your sheep per se. They're my sheep. I know these people aren't your children per se. They're my children. But I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to have the eyes of Christ. I want you to have the heart of Christ that you see everyone through the eyes of me, the loving parent. My little sister, when Dayton was born, my little sister, um, you know, Christina, we decided Christina would work full time still because uh, we had lots of family around. And so Dayton wouldn't have to stay with anyone else. He could stay with family. And so my little sister who lived just a few miles away from us watched, my, watched our oldest son, Dayton. And for the first, I think, four years, Dayton, was it four years of your life? Five years of your life? First four or five years of your life, he doesn't know. Of course, he was a baby. So what does he know? Uh, but he's really good at math, I can tell you. Parents, if you need help with uh, someone, someone helping you with how to understand this math with a lot of words in it, he's the one. Um, but the first five, four or five years of, of his life, my sister, my little sister watched Dayton. And what I saw develop was even though he was not her son, and even though he was not her flesh and blood, she loved him with a passion that I saw her and she cared for him with a passion that I saw her as if he were her own. In fact, when we moved away from California, she said to me, how can you take away my boy Dayton. Now to remind her, he's my boy. You're just his aunt. But that was her passion. It was like her own child. And God calls us as leaders and then he calls us as all members to, to care for each other in that way that we look around and we see these people were bought with the blood of Jesus and that our eyes and our minds will begin to see them that like, we are not going to let anybody harm them. We're not gonna let anyone harm them. Let me tell you one more story just to give you an example. No, I'm not gonna tell that story. Yeah, I'm gonna tell that story. Just one more example. Here's what I mean by this. I don't know if any of you have ever been critical of uh, someone in your own family, but the moment someone else is critical, you rise up. You're willing to do anything to, to fight for those people, to protect those people, to not let someone speak bad about those people. I was in eighth grade, I think. Yeah, eighth grade, I think. And a kid was talking to me and he was talking about my older sister who he had a crush on. And I said, she knows you have a crush on her. And he said, how does she know? Did you tell her? I said, no, my mom said something. He goes, oh, your mom has a big mouth. And forgive me, I'm more sanctified now. But I immediately punched him in the face. Because while I sometimes have said, man, mom, you talk way too much. You say way too much if you wonder where I got it from. I love you, mom. I know you're watching. But while I can say that, no one else can say that about my Folks, we need to, there's wolves that are trying to destroy us from inside and out. And we need as a family to say, we're going to protect and love each other and see each other through the eyes of Jesus who gave up his very life and blood 
for these people. The mission of Paul, the whole truth, all the truth to all people at all times. The mindset of Paul was all in, all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. And the conviction of Paul was that how could he do anything else? Because these are people that Jesus loves and died for. So who am I to not love them and be willing to die for them in the same way? Folks, that's the account that you should hold me to. That's the account you should hold our elders to. But I would hope also that as we set that example, that would be the account that you would hold yourself to as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this example you've given us in the book of Acts. We thank you that you're patient with us because I know that I don't always live up to even what I just talked about. And sometimes we struggle and we fail. But Lord, I thank you for the patience of this family, this church family. But Lord, I pray that as we think about the example of Paul, as we think even more about the example of Jesus, that our hearts will be convicted to follow that mission, all your truth, the whole counsel of God to all people in all places, that we will be all in heart, mind, and soul, and that we will have the full conviction that this is all for Christ, who loves us, who died for us, who shed his blood for us so that we might be a true family built in the image of God, prepared to live for eternity with him. Lord, help us to that end, I pray in your name. Amen.